0: Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Join me as we head into service. Blessings on you and your family today as we prepare to celebrate another Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus and you and me and all of us. We're all caught up in the significance of the season And our prayer is that we will not forget who the season is all about. It's about Jesus. I want to express our thanks on behalf of myself and my dear wife to all of you who have blessed us tremendously in the um, drive by a few weeks ago to celebrate our respective birthdays. We appreciate your love, your support, and all that you have continued to mean to us. Thank you very much. And I also want to express to Pastor Bob, the executive pastor of this church, want to say thanks to him for extending to me the privilege of ministering to you today. We appreciate him and you, and we pray that this would be a great experience in the Lord. Today, I'd like to share with you the opportunity to reflect on 30 pieces of information about Jesus. Many of you already know many of these pieces, but there's some unique things about him that we need to recognize. The 30 pieces of information about Jesus. As you know, he was born in Nazareth. It was in Nazareth the day that the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and made the tremendous announcement that changed her life and to a certain extent changed the city. The angel said that she will conceive and bring forth a son and his name shall be called Jesus, Emmanuel, for his purpose for coming is to deliver his people from their sins. At that time, research suggests that Nazareth was a small city and um, actually it had between 150 to about 150 to 175 residents very small and you would have thought that if God was sending Jesus to the earth he would send him in a a larger city but instead it was a small city and um, that's the city that embraced the message that God was sending. I'm giving you 30 different pieces of information. And so I've just given you two of the 30. Uh, Number three, Jesus was predicted to be the divine Messiah in the Old Testament. He was later born in Bethlehem in the year four BC. Number four, at that time, Mary, as you know, was engaged to Joseph. And you can imagine what, how Joseph felt when he discovered that Mary was pregnant. The Bible says he sought to put her away privately, not to make a big scandal, but he even thought of putting her away privately in the light of what was happening. In her life. Uh, number five is that Jesus' birth to a single woman created major issues for that community in that day. Number six: also he was born as a member of um, a Jewish family, and um, Jews at that time in the Nazareth were the despised people. Number seven, he grew up in a very insanitary city of Nazareth. As a matter of fact, there's a saying, and we find it in John chapter one and verse four to six, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Now you and I would have believed that Jesus, that God would have allowed Jesus to be born in a totally different city with a different reputation but instead God allowed him to be born in Naz- born in Bethlehem, which is in Nazareth. And um, people had already concluded that no good thing can come out of Nazareth. Think of the implications of that and think of how God thinks, that God thinks so differently from the way you and I think he has his purposes and he works according to his purposes and in God's mind, allowing Jesus to be born in Bethlehem, Nazareth was an important part of his purpose. As a matter of fact, there was even a prophecy that communicated that Um, number, number nine. He was denied Jesus as he was growing up was denied the best education that could have been, um, that he could have had. And he was denied this because of his race. So he understood the pressures of being ostracized. He experienced this as a child and as a teenager, because he was a part of a, a race and a religion has tremendous implications. Number 10, he grew up in Nazareth his whole life, and Nazareth continued to be an obscure providence, um, province of the Roman Empire. Nothing particular about it, nothing exciting about it, no tremendous history. And yet that's where God chose to allow his son to be born. Number 11 As he grew up, he was trained as a carpenter because that was the uh, occupation of Joseph. And it was natural for a son to carry on the occupation of his earthly father. And so that's what Jesus did. And after a while, as he became older, and he felt the call to pursue the ministry for which he came to earth. He began preaching and teaching and calling people to repentance. And his focus was on the kingdom of God. Always speaking about the kingdom of God. Um, He was referred to as a rabbi, even though he was originally the carpenter. But as he took on the ministry to which the father had called him, he began to be recognized as as more than just a good person or more than just a religious person, as people listened to his teachings on the kingdom, they began to realize that there was some unique anointing in him. And they began to refer to him as rabbi, the teacher. He began teaching and preaching and healing the sick. Number 13, after much prayer, He chose 12 men to be his disciples and Judas was one of them, even though Judas was the one that actually betrayed him. Point number 14 is that the common people heard him gladly and followed him wherever he went. Number 15, he traveled throughout the regions of Galilee and Samaria and Judea teaching about the kingdom, his focus was the kingdom, helping people to understand the principle of the kingdom of God and how God rules and operates within the context of his kingdom. He would speak in the synagogue and folks would come to hear him and to listen to him. They followed him wherever he went. And number 16, As he preached about the kingdom, it was necessary for him to focus on repentance. Repentance from sin, from evil. He preached about the love of God and how God wants us to love him and to love one another. That was his message. Through the three years that he ministered, it was on the kingdom and the love of God, the grace of God, the power of God and how God wants us to manifest love one for another. Number 17, the Bible tells us how he healed the sick wherever he went. He performed miracles. Healing the sick, performing miracles were always part of his ministry. He was not simply a preacher or a teacher. But dealing with the sicknesses of people, the concerns of their bodies, of their minds, were always a concern of his. And so he found himself, in addition to teaching as a rabbi, he would touch people's lives and deliver them from whatever sicknesses they were experiencing. He became the rabbi who performed miracles. Number 17 The Bible tells us, in addition to healing the sick, he traveled across the region, expanding his ministry, expanding his anointing, and people from different places began to follow him because they were interested in his unique gifts, his unique calling, and how he was allowing the Spirit of God to be manifested in him. Number 18, after three years of ministry, he was arrested on suspicion of revolt. The people benefited from what he was doing, but the authorities were concerned about the success he was having and about the number of persons who were following him. And even though he was doing good, the authorities were concerned that he was becoming too popular. And that became the basis of his being arrested and uh, being accused of creating a revolt. And number 19, John chapter 13 and verse two reads, and it was supper time. And the devil already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot to betray Jesus. What can we learn from this story of Judas? He was a disciple. Jesus had selected him personally. He had walked with the disciples and with Jesus for three years. He shared in every experience they had. He went into every city they had. He saw the miracles. He saw the anointing that Jesus had. He heard all the wonderful things that people were talking about Jesus. He was right there with all the other apostles. And yet he made a choice. And the choice was that he was offered 30 pieces of silver for his betraying of Jesus. We don't know how long he pondered that possibility We don't know what he did or what he said or to whom he spoke, but we do know that at some point in the journey, he decided that accepting those 30 pieces of silver was important to him. 30 pieces of silver for giving up the Lord, for betraying the Lord, for causing him to be put to death. 30 pieces of silver and all of us it may not be 30 pieces of silver but all of us are tempted to neglect the lord to forsake the lord things come into our lives possibilities are placed before us to forget the goodness of god The righteousness of God, the favor of God, the mercy of God, all the things that God has done for us and our families. Satan brings situations before us to forget all that and to put something else as a higher priority. In the case of Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver he selected in order to betray Jesus. That was the price. That was the price he was willing to receive for doing something that would impact the world, doing something that would ostracize him from the rest of the apostles, rest of the disciples, doing something that would mark him in history. Sometimes when we are tempted to do certain things or to perform certain behaviors, we forget history. We forget legacy. We forget that even before we pass on, our life and our journey will be before us and before many other people. Sometimes we have politicians who forget that. They forget that there's a, there's a, there's a future coming. There's a legacy. And when we don't, when we're not conscious of that, we miss the mark. We miss the boat. We forget that life and journey. That's not just what is happening right now, but it it's the type of impact we make on people's lives, the way we touch lives or the way we allow lives to touch us. Judas disregarded all that because he was comfortable with receiving 30 pieces of silver. He was no longer a friend of the other 11 disciples. He was no longer a friend of Jesus. He was comfortable and satisfied with 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. Is it possible, is it possible that those 30 pieces of silver ended up making more meaning to him or having more meaning to him than the three years he has walked, had walked with Jesus? Is it possible that at that particular moment, when that decision is about to be made, he had forgotten all the things that Jesus had taught all he had said as a rabbi, all his messages about loving God, loving one another, all his messages about peace, my peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. At that moment, is it possible that Judas forgot all that? He forgot. And what became important to him at that moment was acquiring 30 pieces of silver. Sometimes it's possible for us to be in the church and not allow the church to get into our spirits. Sometimes it's possible to be close to persons of God and not allow ourselves to be positively influenced by the life and the spirit of those persons. That's where Judas was. And we, as a result, can reach the point where for whatever reason we betray, not just the master, but our friends, persons who were close to us, we betrayed them because our eyes were fixed on something completely different. That's where Judas was. The same devil that tempted Judas And one, is the same devil that tempts us today. In our daily walk, on our jobs, with the responsibilities that we have, Satan creeps in and gives us new ideas of how we can cut corners, how we can do things and get away with them. And we always have to be wise. We have to be conscious and always thinking because the Bible says there is an adversary He is an adversary. He's not a friend. He's an adversary. He's an enemy seeking whom he may devour. He cooperates with Satan to devour the people of God. Number 20. Jesus, as you know, was later convicted as a result of being betrayed by Judas. He was convicted and sentenced, sentenced to death, death by crucifixion. His life, which was so powerful, was about to be snuffed out. His life of teachings, of preaching, of healing, of ministering, was about to come to an end. It was Satan and Judas working together. And that happens so many times in life today. Satan, Satan finds an agent, a representative he can use to create havoc in the church, to bring disunity He's always doing it as he did to Judas. The name of Jesus was so unimportant that his name is not written in any major international documents. He lived a very simple life. He did not come to earth to um, make any mark in the world. He came to earth to pursue an agenda, a purpose, the purpose of God, to preach the kingdom, to demonstrate the kingdom. It is interesting that Jesus didn't only teach the kingdom, But his ministry involved the demonstrating of the kingdom, what the kingdom of God is like, what the kingdom of God is doing in the world. He demonstrated it through his teachings, through his miracles. He allowed people to see how God is at work in their lives with them and for them. I can imagine as Jesus was convicted, having been sold by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, he was about to be nailed to the cross. I can visualize the soldiers who were about to nail his hands to the cross, looking at his hands, the message of his hands. He was a rabbi. But his hands had all of the signs of the carpentry work that he did with Joseph, his earthly father. All of the lines and the marks and the grooves and the bruises were in his hands. They saw it, they understood it as they were nailing him to the cross. His hands was not that of a scholar who only used a pen, but his hands reflected his early training with Joseph as a carpenter. And it was noticed even as the soldiers were nailing him to the cross. As he was dying, there were those who were mocking him friends stood by, and some stood afar off. There were those who heard him saying, my God, my God, and they concluded that God had given him up. There were those who were trying to find meaning in what was happening, as the Lamb of God was on the cross, Jesus knew what was happening because he knew that's the purpose of his coming. His coming included pain and suffering. And he was quite willing to do it, to go through it. It is interesting that from the cross, from the cross, as his arms were stretched out, his focus It was not on his hurt or on his suffering, but on forgiveness. It was from the cross that he cried, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was from the cross that he made arrangements for his mother, Mary, from the cross. He took care of human business, as it were. While he was dying, he focused on the things that were really important. Forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. I knew all of them. I walked with them for three years. We ate together. We served together. Right now, forgive them. Forgive the soldiers. Forgive Judas. Forgive the crowds crying, crucify him. Forgive them. He was able to die with freedom in his spirit because he had forgiven those who were responsible for his death. That's the kind of savior he was. 2,000 years have passed, and yet he's known all over the world, all over the world. At one point while he was being prophesied to come, it was Isaiah who prophesied that there will come a Messiah out of Israel. It was a great prophecy. That Isaiah prophesied. But it's interesting because that prophecy and how it was fulfilled shows us something about how God works. Here's Isaiah the prophet prophesying that there will come a root of, out of Israel, out of Jesse. And yet that prophecy took As a matter of fact, let me ask you the question. How long do you think that prophecy took to be fulfilled? Isaiah prophesied it. A year? Five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? No. The prophecy of Isaiah about the coming of Jesus took 600 years before it was fulfilled. 600 years Isaiah prophesied it, but never had a chance to see Jesus because, in God's plan, the fulfillment of that promise, of that prophecy, would take 600 years to materialize. Let's pause there for a moment. The prophecy was from Isaiah, the message was from God. There will come out of Israel a root. How do we understand the fact that it took 600 years to come? And what does that say about how God works? 600 years before it was fulfilled. Now, you know, you and I want God to do everything we want him to do right now. Give me all the blessings right now. Fulfill every promise right now. Interestingly enough, that is not how God works. God does not work based on our timeline, our timetable. God works based on his timeline and his timetable. In the case of the prophecy of Isaiah about Jesus coming into the world as the Messiah, it was fulfilled after 600 years. Which means that the people who heard it, We're not alive when it happened. The people who heard Isaiah prophesying weren't around 600 years later. But God has a way of keeping his word. And his way of keeping his word that continues to frustrate us. Because we want everything between yesterday and today. We want all the blessings to come forth, all the miracles to happen. Someone said, but God said, God did say, but God also works according to his plan and his timeline. And if we can just have the patience to understand God, we would have more calm about the promises he makes. And sometimes when God gives you a promise, he gives it to you but it's not necessarily for you. It could be for your children and your children's children. The thing that we have to settle is that if we are absolutely certain that God has spoken, then we can be just as certain that in God's time, he will fulfill every promise. That's the confidence. That's the confidence we have to have in God. If he spoke, he will do it. He doesn't, Look at the almanac. He doesn't look at your timeline. If he spoke it, he will do it. And he will do it in his time with his purpose and with his plan. And if, if there's nothing you can get from the message today but just that principle, give God the freedom to work out his purposes for your life, for your family. God is able to do Exceeding abundantly above all, A L L, all we can ask and all we can think. God is able to do that. But don't confuse his ability with his timeline. He's able. He's able in that he works based on his ability. He's able. But his timeline is totally different. And that's why we have to trust him. We have to have faith in him. We have to believe that he will do what he says he will do in his time. And his promise will influence individuals in his time. There's a hymn writer says, Judge not the Lord by... um, Judge not the Lord by f- simple voice, I think, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. You may see things happening in your life. And you're upset. But God isn't upset. God is allowing things to happen. There are times of you going through periods of darkness. 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 Why does God allow us to go through times of darkness? Because it's in the darkness that the stars are manifested. You don't see the stars in the daytime. It's in the darkness. He allows the stars to come forth, to guide us, to encourage us. But whatever happens to the stars in the morning? Do they go to sleep? No, they don't. It's just we don't see them. They're always there, but in the nighttime, they manifest themselves. And I'd like to suggest to you that regardless of what you're going through right now, or family members are going through, you may feel as if you're going through this time of real darkness and difficulty. Look up and you'll realize the stars are shining. The stars are shining. God is in the picture. Regardless of the pain, God is in the picture. Regardless of the difficulty, God is in the picture. He's always there. He is always at work. You can trust him. You can believe in him. The righteous will never be forsaken. And his seed will never beg for bread. If we can just learn how to trust him, how to be safe, how to feel safe in his arms. Life would be so much different. For us, we'd have so much peace. Uh, Songwriter says, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever is my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. Whatever is my lot, What if I'm going through right now? It is well. It is well because God is in it. He's right there perfecting his purposes. So I'd like to encourage you today to believe God, to trust God, to learn to love God, to serve him with your heart. Because God has a purpose for your life, and the purpose is good. Good, regardless of the circumstances, he will work his purposes out. And by the way, his purpose is not only for you. His purpose is for your family as well. You can afford to trust him. You can trust him. So many people have died not seeing the promise. The Bible says that. But the promise will come. Many persons who heard Isaiah prophesying thought it would happen in a year or two or three years. But between the prophecy which God sent and the fulfillment of it, it was 600 years. God's timetable is so different from ours. So I'd like to suggest to you, my friends, as we go through this Christmas season, remember that Christmas is about Jesus. It's about you and me and all of us. Keep Jesus in Christmas. See why he came and what he is still doing from the throne in heaven. He ascended into heaven from whence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. But Jesus is alive and he is working on your behalf if you're trusting him. Experience that every day. Believe it every day. One of the things that Jesus is doing from heaven is that he's cooperating with the Holy Spirit in doing something special for you. You see, Jesus and the Holy Spirit have what we call double vision. Vision number one is they see you as you are. Vision number two is that they see you as you will become through their grace. There's two of you. There's the you you are right now. And there is the you that God sees and the Holy Spirit sees and Jesus sees the you that can happen through their power, through their grace, through their touch. And God is able and is willing to make the transition from the natural you, where you're doing everything in your own, in your own strength to your becoming the type of person he sees, he sees. As a matter of fact, he, he looked at Peter and what he saw was the Apostle Peter. He, looked, he, was, he was called Simon. And Jesus saw Peter. He looked at Paul and saw an Apostle. He's looking at you right now. And he is seeing the you you will become through his grace. He is seeing the anointed You that you are becoming through his grace. He always keeps both of those visions in mind. And in order for him to allow vision number two to come forward, he empowers you, he blesses you, he impacts you with blessings for the formation of the new person. He has a dream for you he doesn't see you as one of the, one of the chickens of Earth. He doesn't see you as a turkey. No, he sees you as an eagle. Full stretched out. In power. In glory in majesty. And the word of God says that they that wait upon the Lord. Shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's what God has for you. That's what God is seeing for you. You might be seeing yourself as just a chicken or a turkey, but God is seeing you as an eagle, and he's seeking to empower you to be an eagle, to live like an eagle, to fly like an eagle, because those who trust him shall shall mount up with wings as eagles. So as we approach Christmas this year, see it as something of the Holy Spirit and you and me and all of us. Give God this freedom to manifest himself in your life and your family's life. So that you can reach the point where you can run and not be weary. You can walk and not faint. And my friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, my prayer and plea today that this would be a perfect time to come to know him, to ask him to come into your life, to change you, to to transform you. He's able to do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray and we thank you for this day and for this season for all that it represents and for every single person who has been listening to this message. Bless them and for those who may not be saved, let this be a moment of spiritual transaction. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord, why not you repeat, repeat after me please, dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. I thank you for who you are. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Change me. Transform me. You know who I am and where I am, but you also have a second vision for me. Help me to become that person that you have in mind. I ask. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen, my friend. God bless you. May you have a wonderful Christmas.